Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob as well. We're in our series, The God of Restoration. And uh, I sense a prophetic unction this morning in this word. Turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 25. This is part three in this series. And the the subtitle for this is From Famine to Prosperity. From Famine to Prosperity. Genesis 25, verse 1. Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. If you jump back to 24, verse 67, it talks about the death of uh, Sarah. Uh, so Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore to him Zimran and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan, I'm sure I'm saying these wrong, were Ashuram and Latushim and Lumim. The sons of Midian were Epaph and Ephor and Hanok and Abida and Elda. All these were the sons of Keturah. Now Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man, and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. We know that God promised Abraham in his old age a son to his wife Sarah. And from this miracle of birth came Isaac and it eventually led to the birth of Jesus. We can follow that lineage all the way down. You can pull that back now, Greg. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach. I don't need the music. Hallelujah. The story is continually referred. We, we, we often talk about Abraham and Isaac and, and that lineage and the, the promised son Isaac. And we look at it and how he held on to the promises of God. And in Romans 4, he's referred to as the father of faith and When we read lines like this in Genesis 25, we find a little bit of a contradiction in the life of Abraham. Because on the one hand, he had great faith. He had these journeys to find the promised land, to hold on to the promises of God for a child, and he becomes incredibly prosperous. And yet through that journey, we find that at one point in Abraham's journey, he deceives the Pharaoh regarding who his wife is. She's beautiful, and he's afraid that uh, they will kill him to take Sarah. And so we see this issue in his life, and he says, Sarah is my sister. And he gets over that, and God intervenes. But when we look at Abraham, that's a pretty poor action on his part. Now, I'm going somewhere with this this morning. But then it gets even worse, and he goes on, and he has Ishmael. And we see the issue with Ishmael from this illegal union because They get tired of waiting for the promise. So he goes off and he has Ishmael with Hagar. And this son of promise that Isaac, when Isaac is eventually born, there's conflict. 
in the house because of Isaac and Ishmael. And so he sends off this son of promise. I mean, I'm sorry, he sends off Ishmael away from the family. And it was that very strife and division that birthed the Arab nations of which there continues to this day to be the conflict that we see between the promised seed of Israel and the church and those descendants. But there's more. This man of faith continues in his exploits. And so by the time we get to Genesis 25, we have listed all these children from his second wife, Keturah. And then there were even other children that aren't recorded from the concubines. So Abraham continues his exploits. And the problem was that though the children were born to Abraham, those children of concubines had no rights of inheritance. And it's obvious that there was a huge conflict. And when we read, it says that he separates them. He gave all that he had to Isaac, and he just gave the others some gifts and sent them away. Just We'll just get rid of you. We're just going to put you over to the side, and I'll give everything I've got to Isaac. And almost like this last-ditch effort to try and put some order and structure and sanity, he does this. And legally and culturally, that may have been correct, but morally and ethically, it's kind of outrageous. He just kind of sweeps him under the rug. And we have this, this contradiction in Abraham's life. And, and I, I'm not really focusing this morning on Abraham because I want to get to Isaac. Because can you imagine being Isaac growing up around all of that? Watching all of this take place. Knowing he has brothers and then seeing the conflict because of the brothers and watching as Abraham sends them off. And so there's an impact because he's raised in this conflict, in this dysfunction, in this jealousy, in this division. And there's something that happens in the life of Isaac when we begin to read about the life of Isaac. He begins to function out of that dysfunction And his response to life becomes this, peace at all cost. Peace at all cost. And when he's faced with a famine like his father and seeks refuge with the Philistines, he repeats the same thing that Abraham did. He lies about who his wife is. Oh, she's my sister. And the same dysfunction continues. Why? Because he was shaped out of his family background. And in the same way, each one of us are shaped from our background, often causing us to respond to situations in ungodly and unhelpful ways. But those ways seem right to us because our background shaped us to behave often irrationally and in many cases destructively. And I believe that in this hour that God wants to restore us to the place, as we've been talking about, that when God restores us, He restores us better than we ever ever were. That restoration moves us forward, not backwards. And I want to challenge us in this hour that God wants to begin to set us free from those things that have bound our families. And He wants to move us from the famine in our family lines into such prosperity as a family. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the the prosperity of the soul, the prosperity of the family, the healthiness of the family. 
And I believe he's going to do it a few ways. And I want us to turn to Isaiah 58. Because we have, as Pastor Susanna said earlier, we've called a fast. And I believe this fast is not just for the conference this week. While I'm excited about the conference, I believe it's so much more than that. Because I believe we're in a season of restoration. I believe prophetically that we are in a season of revival. That God is pouring out His Spirit in a fresh measure to the equipping church. And that if we will catch it, we will ride a wave of revival that can be and will be sustained. I believe we're stepping into a season that God is going to cause such a move of the Spirit in this house and in our lives that we will experience something we have never experienced before and that it will be something that does not end. I don't believe that revival is supposed to come and go. I believe that revival should be a lifestyle that we live out that is sustained, that constantly wherever we go, dead things are becoming alive, People are being restored. Blind eyes are opening. Dead things come alive. All of that should be happening. So Isaiah 58 verse 6. Is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness. To undo the bands of the yoke. And to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? See, I believe that this this fasting and this praying and in this hour that our backgrounds and our historic shaping is revealed for what it really is, that we are to see yokes to be undone oppressions that we are to be set free from, that instead of hiding ourselves from our past, from our historic pain, that the Holy Spirit is going to bring healing and insight and restoration to our lives. And that is exactly what Isaiah says will happen in verse 8. He says, Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. That in our prayer and fasting time here in the church, I believe that the Holy Ghost will break out like the dawn into the darkness of our hearts, and our recovery will he- and our healing will speedily spring forth. That righteousness will envelop our lives, and God's glory will now be our ruling principle for our lives. This is His promise to us in our season of prayer and fasting. So back to our story, because I am going somewhere this morning. We're presented now with Isaac. We've, We've understood that Abraham, while considered the father of faith, he had some dysfunctions, and that dysfunction led to family dysfunction. God God does not use perfect people. Aren't you glad? Because we would all be disqualified. God functions in the middle of our dysfunction. Somehow He makes it work. But I believe that we are called to learn from the dysfunction of our forefathers that we may not repeat the same issues. So we come to Isaac, and in the the story of Isaac, we find him repeating the same dysfunctions. Genesis 26. We're presented with Isaac, rich but with a broken family background. He's born into this incredibly confusing and dysfunctional family environment. And we get to 26, and this is what it says. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. 
So this isn't the same famine. This is another famine. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and excuse me, will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. Here is Isaac living in the promised land, and a famine hits the land. It's not the same famine, it's another season, but yet another famine. He's in the middle of a famine while living in the promise. And Isaac does what his father done in similar circumstances. We're going to get everything. We're going to head down to Egypt. We're going to get out of the promise and we're going to go down to Egypt. But when he arrives at Gerar, the southern border of Canaan, is, which is part of the promised land, it's where the famine is occurring. And God says to him, don't go there to Egypt. Stay in the land I will show you. And of course, if we read on in verse 7, we could find that he says, well, this is my sister. And he does the same thing that his dad had done. He repeats the same dysfunction. But here's the deal in Genesis 26, if you jump down to verse 12. It says, now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. God says to him in the middle of famine, stay in the land where I show you. The land is Gerar where the famine is headquartered. He is right in the natural, in the middle of the famine, and God says to him, stay there. And in this land of famine, he sows in that land during the famine, which would be a crazy thing to do, and he reaps a hundredfold. Haven't we all thought that to be prosperous, to be blessed, To know the riches of God's favor, everything has to be perfect. Isn't that how we often treat our lives? When everything gets perfect, then I'll begin to prosper. When A, B, C, D is all in order, then I'll begin to prosper. When everything is just right, when I got my behaviors together, when I... No, we find Isaac in the middle of living a lie, in the middle of lying to Abimelech, in the middle of dysfunction, in the middle of everything, in the middle of the greatest famine that he'd ever known in his life, he sows in the middle of a famine and he reaps a hundredfold. Why? Because he heard the word of the Lord. See, we think that things have to be perfect, but Isaiah 41 and 18 says this, I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry lands fountains of water. Psalm 107, 35, he changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. 
See, you would think in your life, there's no hope. I'm in the middle of a famine. All of the promises have dried up. How can I be prosperous? But God says it is in these circumstances I delight in because in your barrenness is my provision. In your famine is where my reaping begins to take place. Isaac finds prosperity in the land of famine. Isaac finds prosperity despite his family dysfunction and pain. You see, we are not subject to the principles of the world. We simply aren't. So everyone's screaming recession. Everyone's screaming inflation. Listen, we know in the natural things don't look like how we want them to look like. But it is in that very situation that Isaac found himself in a famine that God began to bless him. Listen how the Bible puts it. I I, want to show you something this morning. The Bible says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, this is a pretty dull sword. It's, it's a replica. It's, it's not going to do anything, okay? It might hurt you a little bit with the tip. But the Word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is living. It's life-giving. When the Word of God begins to pierce us, it begins to separate the truth from the lies. It begins to separate our belief systems. It begins to separate us from our dysfunction. It begins to separate us from where the enemy has had roots in our lives, and it creates interventions of God in our lives. If we've ever been in a famine, we're in a word famine in cultural Christianity, where people, did you know that only 20 20% of Christians believe that the Word of God is the Word of God? That's what the new, new statistics show. 20% of Christians, people who call them Christians, believe that this is the Word of God. We're in a famine, but despite what has been arrayed against us in the natural circumstances, you and I don't need to live in a place of excuse saying we cannot be blessed. We cannot find God's best because of our family, because of our circumstances, because God delights to bring prosperity, abundance, and blessing even in the middle of our famine. He delights in it in the place of restriction. He delights in the place of famine. He delights in the place of difficulty. We fast and we pray and we're doing that because we believe that whatever our background and circumstance, the ruling principle of our lives is this. We live by the promises of God and when we live by the promises of God, then we will be blessed. It is a different law working on our behalf. We are not governed by natural laws. We are governed by spiritual principles that were established in the Word of God. And this Word has not changed, church. So we cannot look at our circumstances and judge our circumstances by our natural eye. We look at our circumstances and say, so what that my family was this? So what that my current circumstance was this? So what that I went through this? The Word of God is my standard and it pierces my situation and it separates my situation and it causes me to see things from a different perspective. And when I stand on the Word of God, I'm blessed in the middle of famine. I'm blessed in the middle of difficulty. My restrictions aren't restrictions because I have the Word of God to pierce through my restrictions. Hear the voice of God. Walk in the light of that voice and as a result, enter the blessing of God. 
so that the word of God lives above everything and empowers us to live at a higher level. In seeking God, there are many things we believe God for, but primarily what we are seeking God for is his voice and his revelation. See, I believe that in our prayer and in our fasting, that fasting potentially achieves for us one of which is this, that it gives bread for the hungry. Isaiah 58, 7. It is, not to divide your, is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? I am hungry, church, more than ever before for more of the revelation of God for the bread of heaven, the manna that comes down from God. I'm hungry for the bread of heaven, that it would rain down in this house and release the revelation of God, that we would come to know it in a fresh way. Isaiah 30, 21. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left. Love what the King James says. Walk ye in it that it is an hour that we hear the word of the Lord and we walk in it because I can, if I can discover the way of Christ for my life, I would have found the way of blessing. If I can but hear the revelation of God, I would have heard the answer of living above my circumstances and entering into the prosperity of God. Isaac reaps a hundredfold, but he had heard the command of God and in famine he reaps a hundredfold. Why? Because he heard the command of God. And of course, this becomes a huge issue that he now has to contend with. Let's put it in modern day terms. If you have lived in an environment with people for a length of time, and all of a sudden your lot in life changes for the better, maybe you get a house others can't get, maybe you get a job they don't get, money comes that they don't get, and though your heart and attitude doesn't change, the attitudes of others towards you can change. I've had friends and family members who have said to me, oh, you think you're so much better than us now that you bought a house. You think you're so much better because you got a degree. You think this, you think that. My attitude and heart didn't change. But what begins to happen is that when we begin to overcome our circumstances, it exposes others to the condition of their own heart. It exposes And what it will do to us is if we're not careful, it will expose the condition of our heart. And if we don't examine it with the word of God, then we can be given over to the wrong attitudes and wrong perceptions. And we can start to think that we're better than. We hope this doesn't happen because the same opportunity for blessing and prosperity is there for us all. But the difference between the one who enters prosperity and success is their obedience and willingness to listen to the voice of God and their obedience to that. The only reason that we can rise above our circumstances and our famines is the Word of God. But I'll tell you, unfortunately, conflict will arise. And what happens in our story with Isaac, because he he begins to have all this blessing, it says this in verse 16 of 26, Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. People, when you begin to get free 
And again, when I'm talking about prosperity, I'm not talking about money. You need to hear that. That might be one of the, the wonderful blessings of it. You might come into some more money. You might start managing your finances better. That's probably what's going to happen. But when you begin to walk in your freedom, those who aren't ready to walk in freedom, they'll say, go away from us, you holy roller. You're... You're just all churchy now. No, I got free of the demons that kept me bound to the world. I don't think the way I used to think. I don't live the way I used to live. I can't do the things that I used to do. I can't watch the things that I used to watch. I can't listen to the things I used to listen to. Oh, you're just so churchy. No, I'm free. I fell in love with the man Jesus. I had an encounter that transformed me. I can't live that way anymore. I remember I was ministering to, to a young person a while back and they had gotten radically saved. I mean, just radical. They, they were about 17. And actually, this has been a few years, I guess, because I was overseas when, this, when I was ministering to this person. And his girlfriend got so angry because he said, I, I'm not going to sleep with you anymore. I had a radical. Well, you don't love me then. No, I love you too much to continue in sin is what he told her. And she went on a tirade with all of his friends and writing things on social media and then wanted to, because they were 17, wanted to accuse him of rape because he had gotten saved and didn't want to have sex anymore. But he'd encountered the holiness of God. I can't live that way anymore. I can't do those things anymore. Because when I've encountered Jesus, something changes on the inside of me. When we've truly encountered Jesus, we can't live like the world anymore. Because we're held to a different standard. But here's the reality. When you truly encounter Jesus, the standard becomes easy. Because He transforms you. He changes you. And conflict will arise. And so what happens in this story is conflict develops over these wells that Isaac had dug. And the jealous Philistines are jealous over his prosperity. And there's also cultural reasons because when a well is dug and water is found, then it's considered that the land where the water was found that was now the property of the person who found the water there. So there's all these things. So Abraham's wells were then covered up so that they could take back the land. And Isaac comes and he seeks to reclaim the wells and so reclaim the land. And so contention and conflict arise over the first two wells. And that's actually what those wells mean. Esek, and there's another one, uh, Sitna. It means conflict and contention. So Isaac is dealing with this conflict and contention. Why? Because sometimes we focus so much on the family curses, we miss out on the family blessings. And I highly encourage you, if you're looking back over your family line, what are the things that God did in your family line that were powerful? Don't just focus on the, the family curses. Focus on the family blessings. And Isaac goes back to, to, to redig those wells. He says, these belong to my father. This land was mine. This was my inheritance. So he names the first two, Esek and Sitna, because of the conflict. And verse 22 of 26 says this, He moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth, for he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. Even in the place of conflict, 
there was a place of peace to be found. That despite the contention, the jealousies, the strife, here's what it says, the Lord made room for him. He names it Rehoboth. And the amazing thing is this, when we walk a walk of faith, everyone around us can be in conflict. Our workplace, our families, our community, but the Lord makes room for us. Do you hear that this morning? The Lord makes room for us. Even in conflict, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I want, to hear, I want you to hear this this morning. God makes room for us. That's part of the restoration process is that God makes room for us. Walking with God enables us to live in a place of rest and peace while others are in trouble and strife. And Isaac sought the place of peace and he found it. You know, I've, I've thought about it and I've wrestled. Why didn't Isaac just fight for those first two wells? It would have created further instability in the region. There could have been all sorts of issues. But prophetically, I believe God wants to say in the middle of our prayer and fasting, He's making room for us. I want you to hear that this morning. God is making room for us. Whether we've come from a background of family dysfunction and strife, whether we're living in a place of famine or lack, or whether we're living in a place where it seems as though there's strife and contention at all levels, in all of that, God makes room for us. There is a place of abundance, of excess, of prosperity that God makes for us. That when we sow, even in a time of famine, God has a way of turning that into a way of blessings. One of the things that I've been praying into even for my own life is out of Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. I'm contending for new wine in this season. I'm contending for a fresh outpouring, that my barns are going to be full. You know, th- this scripture, it's about tithing and the promise of God associated with that. And one of the objections that I often find people say is, well, I I can't afford to tithe. For most people on an average salary wage, that really could be said. I mean, in our culture, with the way that wages are and and the, the economy, but here's what I know, in a land of famine and restriction, so, and it will be returned for you, because God makes room for us when there is no room, and God brings fruit for us even when there's only famine on every side. It's why even tithing is such an act of faith. But undergirding everything around our lives, our finances, and our relationships is this truth. The Lord makes room for us. Do you hear that this morning? The Lord makes room for us. And this is my expectation as I start to close. This is my expectation of our prayer and fasting. I believe this is a prophetic word for us this morning. Isaiah 58, verse 8 through 11. Then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will spring up quickly, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and He will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the need of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy. You hear that? Satisfy 
your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you will be like a water garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. In verse 12 says, those from among you, nope, next one. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. In our time of prayer and fasting, in our time of contending, in our time of believing God that this is our hour for revival. Some of you in your fasting might get thin physically. Hallelujah. But it's about growing our spirit, man. It's about strengthening the inner man. It's about developing the resolve and living by this truth. The Lord will make room for us. The structures of your life healing up, strengthening. Springs of the Holy Ghost flowing in fresh dynamics. Our lives are not at risk to fail, but to prosper. The waters of life never fail us. And I want you to be encouraged this morning. The Lord is making room for us. I want you to hear that this morning. The Lord is making room for us. The equipping church, the Lord is making room for us. The Lord, we're stepping into a Rehoboth. The Lord will make room for us. I want you to catch that and I want you to settle that in your spirit this morning. The Lord will make room for us. Where I can't make room for myself, where I can't make it happen, if I'm obedient and I hear the word of the Lord, the Lord will make room for us. Amen. Pastor Hector and Susanna, come and lead us in communion. Let's just prepare our hearts for communion this morning. And even as um, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 11, Paul talks about Jesus uh, talking about that night that he was betrayed. And Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks and he said, take, eat, this is my body that was given to you and do it in remembrance of me. But if you read the few verses before that, and the Apostle Paul was talking to the Corinthian church and how they had defiled communion. And what was happening was um, they made it such that it was a huge gathering for people who were rich and they were eating a lot and drinking a lot. And there was disunity because the people who were poor were disenfranchised. They did not partake. And that was a rebuke to the Corinthian church. And the Apostle Paul, when you read on the few verses after that, and he was talking about how the Holy Communion is a time of 
reflection on our sins but what God has done for us on the cross and not to dwell on the sin but to focus on what the Lord has done on the cross and he also talks about the unity that when people partake of the bread and the cup there is unity we cannot have revival with disunity in our spirits and our hearts so let's just partake this bread as a sign that we are one that we are walking together in this time of revival in this new season in this new watershed time that God is preparing for us and we can be in the wilderness i know some of us are it's barren <laughs> and we can be in that wilderness but know that God is going to prosper us whether it's our jobs workplaces in our personal lives we have to believe that and we don't want to wait and thrive thrive in that place of barrenness and be so used to it but believe that God is going to sprout us into life and that's why this week is so important so let us just partake this bread together I want to read from first uh, Peter uh, 1 18 and 19 knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot when we partake of this we recognize we are one in the body of Christ and that our sins have been removed by the grace and by the mercy of God through his blood on the cross his blood touched earth we are made of dust he touched us prophetically to um, create life to give us new life and this is what we are proclaiming so as we declare this we also proclaim that he's coming back and this is our desire our desire for revival is for Jesus to come back to have an encounter with him so we want to give him thanks thank you Lord for the blood shed for us we partake together and we know today we have an encounter with you in Jesus name let's partake thank you for listening to this week's message to stay connected follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingchurch.us